dare great things for Christ. Christ calls us to dare great things. In the marketplace, as well as in the mission field, there has never been a time like the present for the spirit of the Catholic entrepreneur. Now is the time for men and women of great courage and great vision to engage our church and our culture. Now is the time to dare great things. And here is your host as we dare great things, Father Nathan Cromley, the president and founder of the St. John Institute. There are many philosophies about leadership out there, and some of them hold that failure is not an option. Many leaders, in fact, are afraid of making mistakes. However, when Jesus Christ formed his disciples to be apostles to the nations, to be bold proclaimers of his word, he welcomed their mistakes. The Gospels famously recount many of the mistakes the apostles made while with Christ. What lesson does this teach us for our own lives? What is God trying to teach us by our mistakes? This is part six of our 10-part series on how Christ made his leaders bold. I just love looking at the Gospels with you and letting the Gospels really teach us about leadership. And of course, at the St. John Leadership Network, that's what we're all about. We're trying to help make this bridge between the wisdom that God revealed to us in his word and the real demands that we face every day in our leadership, and especially in our leadership of our businesses or in our professions, in our professional life. It's it's a whole domain, a realm of our human existence that the gospel needs to penetrate. And a lot of us have a hard time because we read the Bible and we read about the stories that are there and these wonderful characters. And there doesn't seem that the Bible speaks a lot about business or when it does, we kind of have a pejorative sense in our mind, almost like business or making things for profit is somehow against the gospel spirit of freedom and poverty and miracles and love and all of those type of things. And we divorce those two realms. And I think that that's a tragic mistake. Because what, as Fulton Sheen used to put it beautifully, he said, whatever the church casts off or or throws away, the world picks up, right? So if we believers say, well, the world of work really has nothing to do with our faith life. Ah, the, the secular mentality will gladly take over and dominate and, and corrupt and this is something that we just can't have, right? Because I spend, when look at it realistically, one third of my life working. One third of my life. Now you can say, well, it's a lot, but it actually is what, we, what it comes down to. And, and the amount of time that I spend, the interactions, the people, if I were to count the number of relationships that I form on a daily basis, most of them are going to be in the workplace. As, can you imagine if, if we were to say the gospel has nothing to say about the world of work? What would happen to that world of work? Where would it go? Well, it would go right into the hands of people who are more than happy to advance their gospel, right? Their agenda, their philosophy of life right there in the workplace. And we're going to sit silently thereby and say, well, I guess, you know, Christianity really doesn't have anything to say about work. <laughs> the other day I was at a, I had an experience that I'm sure many of you have had as well. I, I was at a restaurant and the service was absolutely terrible. Absolutely terrible. There was four people behind the counter and I went from one person to the next in my experience with that company and every single one of them was just as miserable as the next. 
There was no eye contact. There was slow walking in between things. There was no repeating of what they, you know, to try to help me out. No, ask different questions. The questions weren't answered well. I was made to feel like a burden to those people working behind the counter. Now I thought to myself, well, that might be the standard uh, for, for businesses, for people that really don't care about their customers. But I know Christian businesses care about their customers. And I thought, you know, if, if the owner of this company was a Christian, he would be ashamed. His faith had absolutely nothing to do with the way that his company was doing business with his customer. And you could tell because the customer didn't matter. The service didn't matter. The product didn't even matter to them. You almost wonder why they were there. And of course, we all know why they were there to make money. And that was the only thing you were left with. Now, do you really want a world like that? Well, what's going to guarantee that the customer's quality experience is given to them? What's going to guarantee that the, the people are put first? Well, you're going to have to have a set of values that guarantees that. And I'll tell you what, if you put profit as the number one driving force in any business, the people are going to go right out the window because it's just, care for people, care for customers, care for anything, it's reduced when you know the, that the, the efficiency of the activity is the primal driving force of business. That's not the case for Christian business. Christian business has a soul. Christian professions are the, soul, the salt of the earth and the light of the world. And Christian professionals are called to bring the full weight of their Christian experience right into their workplace. You're spo- you are supposed to be the ambassador of Christ there in the workplace. People say, well, I'm not comfortable sharing my faith at work. You don't have to share your faith. You just have to live according to it, okay? And I mean, you know, if you, why not share it, number one, if you have the chance? But by golly, if you can't share it, you can at least walk according to it. And that requires that I'm there answering to a higher boss. My boss isn't the guy who's there, you know, paying my paycheck. My boss is the Lord who has given me the talents and the skills needed to advance the cause of this world in his name. People will know that God loves the world by the way that I do my job. The way that I love the world and the way that I serve the world ought to be a reflection of the way that God loves and serves the world. And this is the beauty of our Christian vocation. And then the third of my life that I spend actually in service through my profession, instead of being a waste of time, becomes a place of sanctification. And it's where God makes me into a saint. I'm excited about that prospect. And I, and I think that the church owes that to the workers, her members who are workers, to guide them in this process. And so that's what we're trying to do in the light of this gospel, right? So I'm meditating with you now on a 10-part series here and how Christ made his apostles bold. And the, the, the rationale behind this is simple. When you look at what the apostles did, they spoke clearly and convincingly, plainly, so to speak, about who they were and what they were all about. They proposed Jesus Christ convincingly to our world. And then when you look at the word that the Gospels use there, the, at least the New Testament, it says that the apostles spoke boldly, right? And so how did they get to have that bold speech? What would your life look like if you were able to speak boldly? Now, I don't just mean in terms of a, a brash a presentation of things or boldly meaning speaking out of turn. The bold speech in Greek is parea, is the Greek word. And it literally means to, be, to speak in a forthcoming fashion. And you could almost equate it with authentic in our, in our English language. 
To speak boldly means to put out there what you mean to say, to say what you mean and to mean what you say. And that's an incredible strength. How do I get to be like that? Because when the apostles spoke boldly, God used their bold speech as his instrument to effectuate the conversion of the nations and to found his church. What would happen to my speech if I could adopt the same thing? Well, I think, I don't know if worldly success will be the result. That's not the guarantee. But I'll tell you what, the Lord will be able to use us to make his effect in the lives of those who are around us. I think we can put it this way. Bold speech comes from noble hearts. And noble hearts come from actions that are rooted in virtue and are grounded in our character. And so that's where Christ, when I look at the New Testament, that's where Christ puts his focus when he forms his apostles. Notice he doesn't give them all kinds of training in the, the, the special art of preaching. <laughs> Our leadership, you know, can have some training involved because there are some skills that are good to pick up. But in the end, a person can't be, be trained to be a leader. A person can be trained to let their natural leadership flow. But leadership is not an equation of skill sets. Uh, leadership is the effect of a free person acting freely. And this is exactly what we find in the apostles. We find Christ putting them through a school of freedom, a school where they get to touch their deep identity and then bring that deep identity to bear in all kinds of different ways through their actions and their ministry to the church that's waiting for them. And God does the exact same thing with us. So I wanted to take a look with you the different ways that he forms them. You know what? I just picked out some of them. There are, of course, many other things that we could say, but Christ calls them to be men of communion, calls them to be men of truth, calls them to put him absolutely first in their lives. He calls them to, to be people who are used to challenge and opposition. He calls them to work every day of their life as he worked embracing the labor evangelization. And finally, he allows them to make mistakes. And it's that fascinating truth that I think is so liberating and helpful for us today. Are you a young adult between the ages of 23 and 35 and wondering what God is calling you to do next? Do you have a desire or vision that you just can't seem to complete? Then come to the Rise Above Retreat, March 19th through March 25th at the St. John Institute in Denver, Colorado. For more information, visit www.daregreatthings.org slash riseabove. If I were to take a survey of the world today, I could be sure that there are two kinds of people. There are those who make mistakes and admit it, and then there are liars. <laughs> That's about it. I mean, making mistakes is what everybody does. It's as, it's as common as breathing. And so I wonder what our life would look like if we learned to leverage the mistakes that we made instead of acting like we didn't make them or trying to avoid them at all costs. I mean, when you look at the life of inventors, uh, you see Thomas Edison's famous quote when he invented the light bulb, where he says, I didn't find the way to invent the light bulb. I found 999 ways not to invent the light bulb. And that was a famous quote for that incident, but actually it's throughout Edison's life. That's how he looked at things. And one of my favorite quotes by Edison is when he says, I will never give up for I may have a stroke of luck before I die. <laughs> it's like, you know, he would look for every way possible when he was trying to find the way to, find, to, to make rubber, uh, a sustainable crop in the United States for tires. He went through thousands and thousands of types of plants in order to find the type that would work the best. 
And, and so he wasn't afraid of making a mistake. Or if you look at the, the, the typical composer of great classical music and how many years it would take for them to write a symphony and how many crossouts there were and how many mistakes that they would make. It's almost part of the creative process to embrace mistakes, to embrace the imperfect on the way towards the perfect. And so when it comes to our, our moral life, not just, of course, following God's law, but in our actions and in our words, it's so hard for us to accept that we make mistakes, you know, largely because we're called to be responsible. And we know that we're responsible for what we do and what we say. And yet when it comes to the way that the Lord trained the 12 apostles, I'm amazed at the number of times where their shortcomings are put into the light. It's almost like the Holy Spirit wanted us to see the flaws and the imperfections of these individuals. And of course, some of them are sinful and, you know, are not to be embraced at all. I'm thinking of Peter's triple renunciation of his relationship with Christ, which of course is a famous example of something that's, that's more than a mistake. But I'm also thinking about episodes where, where Jesus asks them questions, for example, and the apostles have absolutely no clue. Turn with me in your Bibles to Mark chapter 8, verses 13 to 21, for example. Jesus gets into a boat with the apostles, and he says to them, Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. And they reasoned among themselves, saying, It is because we don't have any bread. And Jesus says, Why do you reason it is because we have no bread? Do you still not perceive nor understand? Is your heart still hardened? I mean, right there for all of us to see, written by the Holy Spirit of God himself, is the fact that the apostles got the wrong answer. <laughs> Jesus asked a simple question, made a simple statement, and the apostles completely misunderstood it, and the Holy Spirit wrote it down. They did not understand. A very similar scenario happens, another mistake by the apostles. When Jesus is rejected by a Samaritan town, he tries to go into Samaritan town, they say they don't want him. This is all, of course, in Luke chapter 9, verse 54, and it says that when James and John saw this, they asked, Lord, do you want us to call fire down from heaven to destroy them? I mean, obviously, another bad move, right? Our Lord's like, no, don't do that. Like, why would he let them make a mistake like that? Why would he, he allow the apostles, for example, to try to, to perform an exorcism at the base of Mount Tabor when our Lord is being, you know, revealed in the great transfiguration on the top of Mount Tabor. And at the bottom of Mount Tabor, there's the apostles trying to drive out a demon and they're not able to do it. So Christ comes down, he immediately drives out the demon, and then he teaches the apostles a lesson saying, well, actually, this, is, this type can only be driven out with prayer and fasting. I mean, there are many mistakes like this. I, I think of that kind of funny joke about uh, why St. Joseph and the Virgin Mary arrived at the inn in order to find that it was full, right? It's like St. Joseph got there too late to bring Our Lady into the inn when the time came to give birth to Christ. And according to the old joke, that's Joseph got there late because he refused to stop and ask for directions on the way. <laughs> he kept claiming he knew the way to the inn. You know, I mean, mistakes are, are part of the gospel story. It's a, they're, they're a part of the church's life as well. The, and, and I'm not talking about sinfulness. I'm talking about trying things that don't work out or saying things that, that aren't 100% correct. I, I mean, try, approaching God and our duties in life with humanity. This petrifies a lot of people, which is why they don't lead. Because you realize that with leadership comes responsibility. And if you put together responsibility and perfection, that means that you need to be perfect if you're going to lead. But that's not the Christian way. 
And the Holy Spirit maybe shows us some of the flaws of our leaders and, and the leaders in the Bible just in order to help us to see that. I mean, Abraham back in the, in the book of Genesis, he goes into a foreign country and the, the king takes Abraham's wife, Sarah, to be his wife. And then he asks Abraham if this was his wife and Abraham says, no, it's my sister. Well, that's a really famous little story there. I mean, I said, that, that's a character flaw. Uh, Moses himself struck the rock twice and therefore was denied entrance into the promised land, even though he was Moses. I mean, the greatest man, you know, the meekest man who ever lived, it says in the Bible, was Moses. And, and there he was, denied entrance in the Holy Land because, because he struck the rock twice and he was only supposed to strike it once. You know, you could look at St. Paul, uh, St. Paul and St. Barnabas, two saints who get in a fight right there in the Acts of the Apostles. It says a sharp dispute broke out between the two of them, and, and then they had to part ways thereafter. You wonder what that sharp dispute must have been like, but that's obviously, you know, n not the nicest of things not to be able to get along all the time. Or again, when you look at Acts, when St. Paul is on a second missionary voyage and he goes to places where the Holy Spirit literally stops him from preaching and pushes him to a different location. Was that a mistake? God let he, him walk all the way across Turkey. <laughs> and, and along the way, walking across Turkey, he goes to two different locations where it's clear that God does not want him to go. And so what was St. Paul wrong? The Bible is full of these kind of stories where you see the imperfections, the mistakes. King David goes and counts the number of people in his land. That was a famous mistake. It had cost him dearly. The Lord you know, enacts a punishment against David because of it. And you could keep going on and on and on about the mistakes of leaders. But what they all have in common throughout the Bible is that God allows these mistakes. And Christ allows the mistakes of his apostles in order to teach them a deeper lesson. God never allows something to go wrong for its own sake. God uses all things, even when things go wrong, so to speak, to, be, to work his plan and to write straight with crooked lines. And that's a lesson I think we all need to learn for our lives as leaders as well. Would you like to start your Thursday mornings with a scriptural leadership lesson? Join the St. John Leadership Network, where Father Nathan hosts a 30-minute call at 6.30 a.m. in all four U.S. time zones. To learn more, go to www.stjohnleadershipnetwork.org slash member and join for free today. So anytime we try to lead, it involves us trying to do something, trying to act. And then whenever we try to act, we run the risk of making mistakes. This is just part of what it means. And, and what I think is some amazing when I look at how Christ formed his apostles was that he welcomed this. It wasn't like he celebrated. He didn't say that making mistakes was the point, but it wasn't the problem either. The mistakes themselves were remediable and the mistakes were even things that the Lord could use to teach his apostles about going deeper. And I think this is a really important lesson for us. We live in a culture today that's ready to cancel everybody for everything that we said 30 years ago, 20 years ago, even if we didn't mean what we said in the way that it was taken, etc. Our culture is so ready to say that only the perfect shall pass. And we all know this is a self-destructive proposition because every single person alive is guilty of not living up to the shifting standards of a world that doesn't know where it's going. But even more profoundly than that, 
we're missing out on a wonderful opportunity that mistakes allow us to go deeper. It was by trying and failing that St. Paul found his way to where the Holy Spirit wanted to lead him. And it was asking for her sons to sit, one at Jesus' right and one at Jesus' left, that the mother of James and John received the revelation from our Lord. It was by her being so busy and preoccupied by many things that St. Martha was able to receive the beautiful teaching from Jesus that only one thing was necessary. It was by weeping and mourning for the death of their brother Lazarus that the same Martha and Mary were allowed to hear Jesus say, I am the resurrection and the life. We all make mistakes. All of us fall short of the kingdom of God. Romans chapter 4, verse 4. Every one of us is subject to sin and therefore all of us live a flawed existence. The neat thing about our God is that he uses the mistakes that we make to make us wise, to learn about his salvation, his merciful love for us. Now, obviously, this is a really hard thing to apply when it comes to the professional world because we, we have to hold our people accountable. We have to be held accountable. We're trying to push together as a team towards great things and mistakes can sometimes well, be too costly for a company to bear. But I also kind of wonder if it's possible to form people to be leaders if you don't allow them the grace of making a mistake. You know, it's, it's, a, it's a common problem that we fall into where we don't allow our people to advance because of the fear that they'll do it wrong. And anyone who knows that if you're going to invest in de to developing leadership in your company, that you have to therefore also allow them to take risks and to make mistakes. And that means that we have to do the same thing with ourselves. Now, it's hard to apply because in each company, it's different. In each circumstances, there's a different level of perfection. We don't want our dentists to make too many mistakes. <laughs> you know, it's a, there's a lower threshold for mistakes out there. Let's just put it that way. But there are areas within our businesses and our professions where it's not so black and white. And, and maybe there's an initiative to take, a person to reach out to, a conflict that needs resolution, a, a, a new burst of energy where one needs to be given. There's a lot of uh, the, the areas of our life where the soft skills reign, where many of us are just afraid to assert ourselves because it's like that old saying, it's better to be silent and thought a fool than to open your mouth and to remove all doubt, right? But that's, that's also, that might be a famous saying, but it's also very inhibitive for each one of us because if we're not willing to be imperfect, we probably aren't willing to try to for perfection. I think of a great quote I like from G.K. Chesterton where he says, anything that's worth doing is worth doing poorly. In my, in my many experiences with parents, for example, I've yet to meet a couple that says, we just are perfect. We've done it wonderfully. We are great parents. You know, I've met a lot of people who have said we've tried really, really hard to be great parents, but I've yet to meet a single couple that simply says, we've done it. We, we are perfect parents. And yet at the same time, look at all the love that they've given and all the dedication that they've shown to their family. It is the good discounted because of a mistake? And the answer is no. Well, then if I act based upon that conviction, well, anything is possible for me. If I'm not going to be held, in other words, or hold myself to a standard that even the 12 apostles weren't held to, maybe I can follow in their footsteps. An authentic leader, a bold proclaimer, someone who is true in their words 
is not necessarily perfect. Their strength doesn't come from the, the perfection of their life or the fact that they don't make mistakes. Their strength comes because they have found love. Isn't it powerful to see how our Lord leads them? In the midst of their mistakes, he stays faithful to them. And in the midst of their mistakes, he shows them love all the same. They come to the end of three years together. They're gathered together at the Last Supper. And our Lord tells them all that they're about to run away from him and abandon him. But that that's okay. In three days, he'll see them again when he rises from the dead. I mean, you know, it's a situation where even the apostles can't believe it. Simon Peter says, I would die for you. You know, and our Lord says, well, this very night, you're going to deny me before the cock crows. This doesn't seem to be the, the essential issue for the Lord. He is much more concerned with knowing that they know that he loves them. As the Father has loved me, so I love you. Live on in my love. The Lord meets us in our imperfections with the love of a father, the love of a friend who lifts us up and leads us forward. The, the biggest sin, therefore, is not to, to, to be imperfect. The biggest sin is to stop trying. Like in the parable of talents, when the talents are given out to many and the only one that God gets mad at is the one who buries his talent underneath the ground and doesn't even try to make anything happen with it. That's, a, that's a, lot, a lot like us in many ways. But the Lord invites us to not be that way. He invites us to receive the talent that he gives us, the opportunities that he gives us, and to try because of love. See, the one thing that God is really sensitive to in the whole New Testament is the relationship that he has with these men. He gives them his heart, and he asks them to give him their hearts. And that's the essential thing. From there, they can try and fail. They can maybe have fights from now and uh, time and again. They can, they can have all kinds of different things happen in their lives that are imperfect. But if they have love, their love will continue to guide them forward. And I want you to think about that with your leadership. There in your businesses, in your professions, in your families. None of us claims to be God's gift to leadership. And yet we are God's gift to those that we lead. And the real problem isn't whether or not we lead imperfectly or how we could be better. The real problem is whether or not we're willing to try. I want to encourage you today to not be afraid to try, to not be afraid of the judgment of Christ upon you, to see his love for you as the rock on which you stand, your strength and your motivation coming from the one who loves you and loves the world so much as to send you in it as his ambassador. None of the apostles were perfect. And yet all of them preached boldly. They said what they meant and they meant what they said. And they made Christ known through their perfections and through their imperfections. And the same holds for us today. If we try, we might make many mistakes, but we'll never make the ultimate mistake of not having tried at all. Dare great things for Christ. Share your feedback with Father Nathan. Send us an email at communications at stjohninstitute.org. That's communications at stjohninstitute.org. And visit www.stjohninstitute.org and sign up for our newsletter to receive updates from Father Nathan.